My moment came when I had to write an email to this company that was offering me a safe job in order to take this internship with little or no pay. I had a real moment of fear, but I knew that this was a moment of faith in action. So I was 10 years old when I started musical theater. And so I was singing, I was dancing, acting. Eventually I had to start narrowing it down to just dance because the schedule was so rigorous. That meant I had to put my other love, music, to the side. Right out of college, I got a job with the San Francisco Ballet. And I've been dancing with them for nine years. That's where I met my wife, Courtney. Most of the past nine years, I've only had a chance to work on music here and there or in moments of quiet. I wasn't feeling alive. I was feeling complacent and I didn't feel like I was moving forward. There was a night a few months ago when I had a conversation with my wife and I told her that I just I knew this was going to be my last year at the ballet. All of a sudden somebody approached me about this small dance company, only 10 members, and there was an opening for a guy. It's going to be, you know, just a small step down from what I had before, but it's safe. Once I made the decision to take this step down, I was approached one Sunday by the creative arts team, and they said, hey, we're doing an Easter drama. Would you like to write some music? And I said, uh, yeah. Are you kidding me? This is what I've been wanting to do since I was a kid. I head back to the opera house, grab my guitar, and I just start writing. Easter drama showed me that this was really a, a desire of my heart and I approached the creative arts team and said is there any way I can be more involved they said yeah you know there might be an internship position available and I was just felt this shift in my heart saying okay dance is kind of what I want to do but this is what I have to do and now I'm, I'm at the edge of this cliff saying is my faith real enough to follow you when it, when it doesn't look safe. My moment of faith in action was when I had to cut the safety net and tell this dance company that I'm turning down their paying job. I was turning it down for an internship and I'm doing it because I trust you guys. There's this term that dancers use called muscle memory. It's when you do the same movement over and over and it gets to be really comfortable and it, and it feels right. And then you throw in a new movement, you've never done it before, and you go, hey, 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 what is that? It's not wrong, you've just never activated that muscle. And I feel like this moment is activating my muscle of faith in a way that I never have. And I'm anticipating that it's going to be similar to learning a new dance movement. It's going to cause aches and pains, and I'm going to get stretched in, in new, new ways. But I'm really excited. 
Our faith may fail us, but his faith never will. If we are faithless, our God is faithful still. Our Where I used to be feeling stagnant and complacent, I don't know what this new year's gonna bring, but I know that I feel more energized, more passionate. I'm gonna be moving forward in faith, and that my faith cannot help but grow. a leap of faith to trust God and to respond and to risk something. And that's what we've been, been sort of focusing on in the past in terms of confronting fear. Now we're going to be moving into moving forward in faith. If you, by the way, have a desire to maybe even share a story or two about, you know, faith story of trusting Jesus in your life, or maybe it's something we're going through right now, you're welcome to post that out at your moment at cornerstone-sf.org. And you can put that up. It'd be a great blessing. But I'm really excited about what we're going to share, the words that we have to share. I want to pray, ask God's blessing over our, our time. And Lord, i just, you know, really grateful to you right now and uh, very hopeful and optimistic that you have things to, to give us that are going to encourage us and, again, to strengthen our courage, to encourage us, to fill us with courage to face things that you're calling us to face. And uh, I want to pray for your grace and your goodness and your life and your mercy to fill this house. Pray that where there has been anything that would be undermining of what it is you want to do in our life, that that would be confronted in love, but in power of God. And I want to ask you to just bless this word. You know, we open it up to you. We bring, we bring our lives before you. And our ears are open as best and as honestly as we can say it. We pray that we would have open ears, an open heart, and that our, our, we would be listening for your words, that even as we look at your words, we'd be listening for your words for us. We seek to live a life that honors you. We ask for your blessing, your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen, God. All right. You know what? We're talking about confidere. Confidere is a Latin word. It, it means, what, well, we translate out confidere as confidence in our English. And, of course, it's composed of two, two really words, con, with, and fidere, faith. The essence of the, the meaning, interestingly enough, of confidence is with faith. And so we're talking about, you know, having an openness to growing in both a faith and our faith in Christ's ability to come into our lives and to open up uh, things that maybe we haven't been, been maybe as, maybe as, say, as ready to allow him to come in and help us with. And so we're talking about trust. We're talking about advancing. We're talking about a belief, a conviction that almost flows out into a, a kind of optimistic way of living that says, God is with me. And um, I'm going to talk about the, the tagline primarily. And again, some of us have already noted it. This idea of advancing in faith is made up of two pieces, right? Advancing and faith. When it comes to the idea of advancing, 
it really does underscore something that I believe God wants all of us to do. We're talking about his desire to see every one of us cultivate a growing edge and not allowing ourselves to be content with either the status quo or to yield to a kind of passivity or a fear that can very easily set into our lives at a spiritual level. So, you know, we're talking about moving forward. And it's interesting because Jesus gave a story. You know, he used to give a lot of stories. We call them parables. His parables were sometimes short, sometimes longer, but they were given because I think the Lord knew, and I'm, I'm sure he did, how we're hardwired. You know, we're hardwired for story. We learn by story. We learn by narrative. Something about, that's why we go to movies. We like, like you know, reading books and, and uh, exposing ourselves to shows. Stories bring us in. It causes us to almost, at times, you know, to suspend our disbelief, and we become part of it. And I think we learn by story. Jesus knew that. He was a master teacher. He was not only the one who understood the human heart better than anybody who ever touched this planet, but he also had a way of sharing things that, even though they were meant for people in that time, still speak to us today, and sometimes in amazingly profound ways. One of the parables or stories he gave, though, had to do with, with risk and the idea of investing and not being afraid. And it's a parable that, in the older days, was known as the parable of the talent. Sometimes we still call it that. A talent was a piece of money in Jesus' day. Sometimes it's called the parable of the three servants. I want us to look at it together again, thinking about this concept of advancement, of being courageous, of taking a risk, and not allowing our fears to dominate us, because that's where we've been. Let's read this together. Matthew 25. Again, he says the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking here. He says, it's, it's kind of like, it can be illustrated by the story of a man who was going on a long trip, and he called together his servants. So think of like a, a business owner who's calling his managing team together, and he called them together, he called his servants, and he trusted his money to them while he was gone. And he gave five bags of silver, so a large sum of money to one, two bags of silver to another, and then one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And then he left on his trip. And then the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest that money, and he earned five more, so he doubled it. And the servant who had two bags of silver went to work, and he earned two more. He doubled his. But the servant who received the one bag of silver, Jesus said, you know, he just, he dug a hole in the ground. And he hid that money. And it says that after a long time, their master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they had used that money, that entrustment. And the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me, look, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I've earned five more. And the master was just amazed. He was full of praise. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. I want, I want to give you more responsibility. In fact, let's just celebrate together and really rejoice in this moment. And then look, the servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I've earned two more. And the master said, well done. Excellent work, my good and faithful servant. You have, you have been faithful in handling this small amount. And you know, I want to give you more responsibility. Let us rejoice. Let us celebrate together. Now, notice, there was really no difference in the approval, the approbation, the, the praise that was given to the, from the one who made five and the one who made two. Because both of them were being faithful with what they had been given. It wasn't the amount made. It was the faithfulness with what had been given. And that leads to the third, the one who had been given the one. Look together. It says, Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, you know, I knew you were a harsh man. That is a hard businessman. And again, Jesus is telling this story. They would have understood it was a, a typical business owner. 
I know you harvest crops that you didn't plant, you gathered crops, you didn't cultivate, you're used to, you're used to getting a return on an investment. Um, you make money with money. I was afraid I would lose your money. So you know what I did? You'll be happy to hear this. I, I hid it in the earth. And look, look, I got it, I got it. I have everything that you gave me. I, I didn't lose anything. It's all there. You can count it. Brought it all back. And you know what? He said, the master said, you, you wicked and, and, and lazy servant, how, how could you do that? If you knew the kind of person I was, then why didn't, verse 27, why didn't you at least deposit my money into the bank instead of burying it in a hole where it does absolutely nothing? At least if you put it in the bank, you could have gotten interest. What's wrong with, get, get, then it says, then he ordered, take the money from the servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. Now, Jesus is telling a story because he's trying to illustrate, as most parables do, they're designed to, to underscore a concept, a principle. I think we, we run a risk when we read the stories of Jesus and try to plant, you know, uh, we try to say this character represents this and this one represents it. That was not usually Jesus' point. Usually his point was to underscore a principle or a concept, one, maybe two <laughs> concepts that he really wanted to drive home. Clearly, one of the things he's trying to remind us of is how unhealthy fear, right, can cause us to be overly careful in life to be, become overly cautious and afraid. Now, maybe, maybe there was something in, the, in his past, the one who had been given the one bag of entrustment, that caused him to be afraid. But whatever, the, we don't know anything about it. Jesus is intentionally giving us a, a, a broad framework to work with. But what we do know is it was his fear that, that caused him to shrink backwards and to play it too safe. Sometimes... It's that unhealthy kind of fear that creates paranoia in us and it makes us sort of become filled with undue anxiety. And you know what it does? And we talked about this in these past few weeks as we've opened up the year, but fear has a way of shrinking our creativity. And creativity is one of the keys to problem solving in life. So it's one of the reasons why the Lord calls us to live with less fear but I'm going to take it from one more step further and say not only is God asking us and challenging us and inviting us to live with less fear, but he's also challenging us to take it even one more step and to choose not only to not be afraid, but to choose to trust and to have faith. You see what I'm saying? And that got me thinking about something about how we're hardwired because I want to kind of take a look at it from a different angle. I put this in the uh, quote section next to your notes. It was just something I was jotting down earlier. And I said, you know, I want to write this down so I get it specifically right. And, and it said, this is what I, I was thinking about. One of the things that separates human beings, us, from the rest of creation is our capacity for foresight. I don't know if we ever thought about that. I mean, we might say, well, that's obvious. But really, it does make us uniquely human. It is one of the qualities of a human being that is not possessed by the animal kingdom or the rest of creation. If you think about it, the old, the old uh, theologians used to call it, again, I'll use a Latin phrase, the imago Dei, the image of God. They said that, there were, that even human beings in our broken condition, our sin-impacted broken condition, that there's still something of the, the image of God that is there, that there's something of the imprint of, if I can use it, the traces of deity that, that show up at moments, our capacity to love our ability to imagine, and of course here, our ability to exercise foresight. These are things that, that is, we can look, we can kind of think into a tomorrow. Now, that, and we're not God, so 
We can't see clearly tomorrow, but we can imagine it tomorrow. We can touch it. We can think about what we have to prepare for. That's a, a unique quality to think about where something's going and, and to consider my options, to think about consequence. Do you understand that? that these, are, these are uniquely human capacities. And the upside is that, wow, that means we can envision adjustments that need to be made because we can think, well, if this happens, this happens, then I need to be prepared. Jesus talked a lot about being prepared, but he also talked about the downside of this. What do you, there is a downside to this gift of being able to think about where things are going. And the downside is that means we also have the capacity to worry about things that haven't happened or may not happen and then let that worry and anxiety for tomorrow affect our today. And that is why Jesus said, you know, do not borrow from tomorrow's trouble. He said, be anxious for nothing. Sufficient unto today is the evil thereof. That what he was saying was, there's enough issues to be worried about today, so don't borrow from tomorrow's trouble by imagining what may or may not happen, even if there's a pretty good chance it may. And what he was saying was, don't get consumed in the what-ifs. Now, he wasn't suggesting that it's not wise to think about things. He is a picture of prudence and thoughtfulness relationally. He knew the hour. He understood what it was to have uh, decisions and priorities. He talked a lot about time and using our life properly so he was, and challenging how we live. So he wasn't disregarding that. But what Jesus did make clear was we are not to live, and anyone who would follow him needs to remember this, we are not to allow negativity, uh, fear, to just possess us and paralyze us when he is calling us to live a life of increasing trust and faith in him, to commit ourselves to him, to be encouraged by who he is in our lives. Now, I say that because, again, part of what Jesus was getting at in this parable was that he wanted us to put our gifts into play. He did not want us just to simply sit back and coast through life but there are times where he wants us not to bury what he's entrusted us with, but to find a way to use it. And there are different ways we can express what he's given us. But all of us have things to offer in his name. Some of us have a tremendous gift of encouragement. Others are, have amazing burdens to pray for other people. Others are tremendous givers. I mean, we, we, all these things are good things, but some of us really, that, some of us, uh, you know, we have things to give, to serve, to bless, to represent his heart with. We are, we are not to simply be passive, but to move forward with those entrustments. Now, that's something that we're sort of putting on the table. Um, we are to be a people who are committed to advancing, to moving forward, to staying unstuck, if I can use that word, because we easily fall into ruts. And a rut is something that's just grooved over time. It starts to become something that actually starts to trap us at some level. That's, by the way, one of the reasons why I actually think that some difficult seasons in our lives can actually be a blessing. I'm not saying we want bad things to happen, but I'm saying God can bring good out of bad things, and sometimes the good that he brings is that he causes us to move into a transitional place because we're open to change in a way that we weren't before. And when we oftentimes open up our heart, God can do new things inside of us and around us. That's why no situation is irredeemable if God's involved. And some of our greatest growth will take place in the challenging place, which is easy to say and hard to submit to. It's hard to trust God. It's hard to, to say, I will not be depressed. I will not be discouraged. Discouraged, lacking in courage. 
I will, Lord, ask you to fill me with strength to face this and to do it with courage and to grow and to trust you and to see the new things that you can do. Okay, keeping that in mind, kind of holding on to that, that leads perfectly into the second passage of Scripture there. This, by the way, is a great piece of Scripture, Hebrews 12. I mean, a lot of us, when we bring our Bibles or... You know, nowadays, I know a lot of us read our, from our Bibles. A lot of times, some of us have it on, on, our, on our phones or our iPads and stuff. But there's something about the Scripture that's so powerful and profound that we need to make sure, whatever, however we're reading it, we need to stay close to God's Word. His Word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Your Word, the, the psalmist said, have I hidden my heart that I may not sin against you? How shall a young man or a young woman cleanse their way? By taking heed according to your Word, Lord. Your words to me are life. Now, in Hebrews 12, we're given this great passage in which the life of faith, the Christian life of faith, is, is sort of given a metaphor of a runner in a race. And you'll note that it's, it's following what is probably one of the most memorable chapters in all the New Testament, Hebrews 11. Now, Hebrews 11 is what's called the Hall of Faith by some because it lists all these Old Testament figures, Abraham, Sarah, Joseph, David, um, Moses, Moses' parents, and his mother, Jochebed. I mean, it lists, and a number of others as well, who had courageous faith. And sometimes there's just a value in just thinking about how they modeled things for us. But anyway, let's look at this passage real quickly. It says, because keeping in mind this idea of, of moving forward, advancing in faith, progressing. Therefore, he says, since we, he's talking to those who've made a decision to follow Jesus, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, the crowd of witnesses is the, what he's referring to in the 11th chapter. All those people from the Older Testament who have modeled how to trust God through amazing difficulty, some of whom are more known than others, but all of them have something for us to learn from. He says in, in the sense that because we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life of faith, let us strip off. And the picture he has, like a runner trying to stay light, like someone who's on, a, on the run and they're trying to keep from being weighed down. So let us strip off every, every weight that slows us up. Put out, you know, throw down the excess baggage. Stay lean. And especially, he says, the sin that so easily trips us up and gets in the way. And let us run with endurance, with resilience, with perseverance, right? The race that God has set before us. And how do we do this, he says? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The, the focus, he says, must go there. If you want to know the secret to the overcoming life is to keep the focus. And he says, focus on the champion who initiates and perfects our faith, the author, the finisher, the great example, who because of the joy awaiting him endured the cross, disregarded his shame, and now is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne, as the older version says at the right hand, of the Father. I mean, you think about this for a moment. Jesus is the great model. So when it comes to advancing in faith, we have really clear principles to draw from. We're not just being told, grow in faith. We're told a little bit how to do it. And I just kind of want to, in the minutes that we have left, zero in even more closely on what those principles are. Let me put this first one up. You and I are to let the example, if we're serious, and we want the life of a vibrant, growing life in God, we are to let the example of others inspire us. Notice, what does he refer back to? He says, and the writer of Hebrews says, that cloud of witnesses, that group of people who've gone before, who've shown us, who've modeled for us, let that inspire us, those who are, as they root for us in a way, 
to go forward in the race that God has called us to run. And so I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how much of my own life with Jesus has been affected by other people's examples. And I, I suppose that many of us can say that. I know, I, I'm going to make an assumption. I'm going to say that I know that maybe not everybody here has made a, a decision to follow Jesus. But I would say a majority have. Some of us have been just beginning. Some of us are in the middle of this. Some of us have been doing it for quite a while. And that's okay. That's great, actually. That's a very good thing. Very good thing. However, those of us who may not be there yet, this still has, we're, obviously our heart in some way is, is, is open. We wouldn't be here. I, look, I say this because in my own life with Jesus, it's been critical as the years have gone by to have other people who I've been able to look to for inspiration. Not all of us will always feel like, overcoming, like overcomers or like overcoming. There will be times when we will struggle. We will struggle with things. It could be doubts. Could be our fears, could be very real issues of our past that hover over us like a dark cloud, or sometimes that we thought were defeated and all of a sudden they're rising back up and they indict us. They say, You're not really able to do this. Sometimes it has to do with external things. I don't know. What I do know is that there have been times where I've really needed other people in my life to help strengthen my hand. That's a biblical phrase strengthen the hand, help give me courage. Sometimes they haven't, you know what? Sometimes it came through words. Sometimes in my place of weakness or despondency or discouragement, it was a word given in due time, which the Bible says is a gift. But a lot of times it was just because of, look, I, I'll put it this way. There are people whose writings I read who I love. There are people who, I have some writers in my, in my life that I love to read. People like Gordon McDonald, for example. I've been reading about Billy Graham and how he's now in his 90s and, you know, he never thought he was going to live as long as he's living. So he says, I never really thought about getting old because I assumed I was going to die yet much younger the way I lived my life. And he goes, now I've outlived my wife. I'm still alive. So what do I do about that? How do I honor God even now? I, I love that. In my final days, how do I honor him? I look forward to the day, he says, with a restored body. But how do, I, how do I honor him and not let my broken heart consume me? How do I stay in love with Jesus? I mean, it's good stuff. Anyway, the point is, you read about people, you can learn. You, in a way, they mentor you from afar. You may never know them. You may, I, some people I've read, they were, they've, they've been dead for many, many years, but their words continue to speak life. I feel like I know them. Some mentors are from afar. Some mentors are people we read. Some mentors are from Scripture as we study their lives in the Bible. Other mentors are just people around us or people who inspire us, people whose faith is real, vibrant, honest, and true. And that love for Jesus that is sincere, honest, and real has a profound effect on our life. We all need people like that. And listen to me. We all should aspire to be people like that to others. Because not all of us are going to always be strong at the same time. I'm going to talk about that. In fact, you know what? When we talk about the Christian life, one of the things I always say is there are basically three pieces. Now, beyond the idea of having... A, a life of prayer, faith, and reading his word and sharing it. That, that, those are principles. I'm talking about three other things that are important. I'm going to suggest that the, Christ, the, the abounding life in Jesus, the advancing life in faith, is consisting of a, of a couple of different things. And if they're all in place, it will increase the likelihood of us having a, a, a growing life with God. One of those things has to do with our own personal walk with him, our own life with him. 
What I'm talking about is what no one else can do for us and only we can do. I'm talking about our own unique relationship with the Lord. It, it is something that I'm, every one of us has to decide if we're going to own it. Are we going to put anything into it? Am I going to read his words? Am I going to spend time, create space and room to speak to him and listen for his voice? Am I going to put some quality reading time into my, into my life as well? Um, am I going to ha- make, make space for rich conversation and pray for one another? See, the, it, But it starts with me having a dailiness. To my, here, here's the thing. You know what Jesus said? The Christian life if it's going to be effective, has to be lived out daily. It's a daily life. Think about it. When they said to him, can you teach us how to pray, Jesus? Jesus says, well, let me, sh- let me give you an example. Pray like this. And that's, of course, when he gives the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Remember, he says the Lord's Prayer. He says, you know, but in that Lord's Prayer, when he says this is a kind of way of praying, he's, one of the phrases that he uses is, give us this day. Say to the Father, give us this day our daily bread. What was he emphasizing? The dailiness of the Christian life. How we really, if it's going to work well, there has to be a daily check-in time with him that allows him to be present and integrated in and out of our life as we move through our day and as our day moves through us. That becomes something that needs to be almost, I can say it, a good habit. We call, sometimes people who follow Jesus for a long time call it having a devotional time. The idea is it speaks of one who's devoted. We talk about being a disciple. What is a disciple? A committed follower. Jesus had them. But you know what a disciple is at its core? A disciplined one. One who is making time to take care of our own heart and our own world, our private world before God. It starts on a daily basis. Sometimes Jesus said it's not even just a daily basis. It can be brought down to a particular time in my day when I'm really engaging the Lord at a personal level. I'm saying it's it's a critical piece. Another critical piece to it, it's the piece that connects with this point, is the fact that we also need not only our own personal walk with Jesus, but we also need to have a a, a kind of smaller community of people. We call it small groups. Jesus was the originator of the small group concept. He had, at least from our following Jesus standpoint, he had how many in his group? He had 12, right? And then out of that 12, they had breakouts as well. And, you know, he set up that number for a reason. Now, they had a lot more followers, but he had a specific small group. To, to really get a, a, a life in God that is, is flourishing, it usually is going to involve not only a dailiness to our own walk with him, but there's also going to need to be a, a smaller group component to what we do. And because we're all going to need up to be able to share and be strengthened and vice versa. There are some things we need to be able to have enough trust base with someone else to pray over something that maybe part of us feels awkward about. But because we have a relationship, and I know that none of us here are perfect, we can pray for one another. And sometimes out of that prayer will come a breakthrough of healing that could almost not come but by ourselves. It's, it's the joint appeal for forgiveness. Uh, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And there's something about the idea of praying for one another. And then, of course, there's a third concept. So we need the personal, we need a, a smaller group comp, you know, sort of way of expressing our life with God. And then there's a communal or a larger community of people that comes together. And look, we're doing now. And we celebrate the goodness of God together. And we listen for a word together. And we are a, a, a people, a community together, part of a larger community that reaches all over this world. But we're part of this, right? So when those pieces are in place, the likelihood of strength is there. Okay, now, keeping that up, but what else does this teach us? 
this passage, when you look at it, not only does it remind us of the value of having other people, but it also reminds us of number two, and we'll call this number two. The second principle is this, this need to avoid being weighed down and the importance of staying clean and lean, loved ones. Staying clean and lean when we're running this race. Again, that's the value of having other people in our life to train with us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to look at his words together. So we are, there's a degree of fitness in us that allows us to live this out, especially when the winds are against us, because sometimes it's hard to run. And so sometimes we're being weighed down. We're being weighed down by things of our past. We're being weighed down by, again, I do believe this. Sometimes we come, a lot of us come from backgrounds. We bring ways of being into our life with Jesus. And so our, what I mean by that is we have ways of reacting when things happen. Sometimes those things have been formed because of our past. Sometimes it has to do with our past family. But there have been times where the Lord will say, you know what? I, that is not my will for you. That reaction was not my will for you. But Lord, this is kind of, this is how I am. That is how you are without me. But with me, there's a different way. I mean, there are times where the Lord will almost be like he's speaking and saying, I have a better way. That you're carrying stuff that I don't want you carrying. Let it go. Let it go. Strip it down. Run lean, run clean. Now, sometimes we're, we're damaged, we're hurt, but we got to keep moving. And sometimes it's hard, we run with a limp, but that's okay. Even there, the grace of God shows up in an amazing way, sometimes more profoundly. Thirdly, really close to it, because everything has to do with this idea, notice, of living with what? Resilience. He's called us to live with resilience, and that means to run with endurance. That's the ability to move past adversity, it's the ability not to be defined by the unfairness of life, to be defined by the things when the winds are against us. A lot of times part of us wants to give up, quit, turn around, stop, forget it. I'm not going to make it. Why bother? I'm going to tell you right now. In the few decades that I've been following the Lord, I've had a chance to watch. I've watched a lot of people who confuse the Christian life for a sprint. It is not a sprint. It's not how fast we get out of the blocks. It's not how smart we are. It's not how gifted we are. It is a long haul run. And the people I've most admired have been the people who've shown a life of consistent, integrous faith. They've modeled the genuine love of God, not as perfect people, but as real people who have an authenticity about them that is somewhat contagious when all the flash is done. It's about long haul, not about the sprint. It's easy to run fast for a little while, but after a while, it's about pacing. It's about learning. It's about shedding skin. It's about reinvention. It's about becoming what he wants us to be. It's about growing stages in our life. It's about confronting things and being transformed and renewed in our mind. It's about learning to live a life without being defined by its negativity. As you go on long enough, we all do, we will always have reasons to become cynical, doubtful, and negative. And the Lord wants to remind us of the value of staying lean and clean and persevering. And the last thing I'll say is this, and it is the last one of the four, and it is this, that we are to principally to keep our focus, number four, on Jesus and to be desirous of letting his light shine through us. He is the great example. He is the model. He is the one that he was, he was abandoned. He was rejected. He was wounded. He had to walk a very difficult path, and he came through, and life flows out of him into us. He was the true light who came into this world. He said, he said and I'll just kind of say it, it's the, the, the scriptures are in the, in the handout as well, but in Matthew 5, Jesus said, you know, you are the light of the world. 
A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. And he said, let your light so shine before people, before men, that they may see the goodness of your life. And not say, oh, what a good guy you are, or a good woman you are. But they would in turn be drawn in some way to acknowledge and honor God's reality because of the goodness that is flowing out of your life, because of the light that is being reflected through you into others. Powerful truth. Lord, help me to be a person who's open. My focus on you. Shine your light and let it fly out. Let me be a reflection of, your great, of the great light, the light of Christ, the light, the light that gives life. And we're not perfect, but we, we're sincere, and we're humble and honest, and he'll help us to grow. It's what he does. Let me pray, and then we'll have our closing song, which is, which is going to come right after our offering time. But Lord, I want to I ask you to just let your life and light shine through us right now. Um, you're a God of who transforms things. That's what you do. And there are times when we maybe, I know it, I felt it too, we want to feel sorry for ourselves. And in those places, Lord, you want to teach us how to not only trust you, but how to grow through those wounded places or through those discouraged places or through those defeated places and to have more courage and to be, to be more committed to trusting you with things we can't control anyway. Lord, I pray that you would give us not just a, a faith that endures which is good, but a faith that prevails with optimism, a faith that is encouraged and, and filled with life, a faith that is strong, not weak, a faith that has fiber in it, that has the ability to grow past things as the years go by and retain its vibrancy in a contagious way. That's what I ask. I pray that you fill our lives with more of that by your Holy Spirit. And I ask for your blessing. Help, help us keep your word near to us. This is what I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.